Chapter 1. Destiny I had met Alberto and Hannah at the end of the world, in Finisterre, a town in northern Spain that was the ending point of the 800-kilometer pilgrimage path called the Camino. I had arrived there by chance, or design, depending on your point of view. Two years earlier, I had fallen into an emotional black hole that I didn't know how to crawl out of. My ordinary life, the one I had worked so hard to construct, had tumbled around me when my husband of seven years announced that he was leaving for another woman. We hadn't even finished unpacking the boxes in our dream home. What had I done to deserve this? I had played by society's rules. I had done all that was expected of me. I had an MBA, a great career at a software firm. I had money, friends. I was well-liked and respected. I paid my taxes. Why did this happen to me? My search for answers led me from psychologists to psychics, but it was the self-help and spirituality section of my bookstore that ultimately changed me. They opened my eyes to perspectives that I longed to embrace, such as that I was a creator of my world, not its victim, that I attracted people and experiences to help me grow emotionally and spiritually, and perhaps most prophetically, that in order to change the world, I needed to change myself first. The ideas resonated with me deeply, but how to live them while working in the competitive business world? How to be love when a client was disgruntled with me? Or to be peace when deadline after deadline loomed? I felt increasingly dissatisfied and unhappy, unable to reconcile my burgeoning beliefs with my work life. So I decided to quit. It was August of 2000. On my last day at work, while packing up my office, I received a phone call from a friend inviting me to attend a workshop dedicated to helping people discover the life work that lights them up. The creators of this technique called the walkers, traveled extensively with their seminar schedule. But because of a misprint on their brochure, they were unexpectedly in town, holding a session that very weekend in a location that was a mere two-hour drive from my home. When I called, they had one final spot available. I registered without hesitation, believing all of this to be a sign. What emerged at the end of this intense weekend process was the picture of a woman who desperately craved peace and who wanted to dedicate her life to it. The walkers commented that not only did my entire face light up when I spoke about peace, but that an area appeared on my forehead that was lighter than the rest of my face and in the shape of a six-sided star. Even more curiously, they also heard an eagle's call, which they admitted was a rare occurrence. They knew that an eagle lived in the mountains nearby, but had only ever seen it once before. They took this sighting as an important omen, an invitation for me to accept the eagle as my totem or power animal and as my guide in the next stages of my life. I sat by the river during a break 
contemplating all these unusual events. I found it all fascinating, intriguing, but resisted accepting a totem as powerful as the eagle, which I learned to be the symbol of spiritual vision and reaching for higher realms. After all, I reasoned, who am I? As I sat by the river, I heard several people beside me gasp. I looked and saw an eagle flying past, gliding low over the waters, its majestic wings cutting through the air, slowly, powerfully, and eventually disappearing over the mountainous horizon. In those eternal seconds, I was speechless. Was this a sign? Was the eagle speaking with me directly? I struggled to give meaning to this encounter and eventually convinced myself that no, the eagle had not come to me personally and that this sighting was nothing more than a happy coincidence. And I believed that until I returned to that same location two months later. To my astonishment, the same eagle landed a few short meters ahead of me and stared directly into my eyes as if defying me to ignore its call. This time, I couldn't. That day, I accepted the eagle as my totem. But I still had so many questions about my life and how to live it. I wanted to put into practice the spiritual principles I was learning and so thought a long trip would help me accomplish that. With enough savings to be able to travel indefinitely, I booked a one-year open ticket, starting in Egypt. I climbed the pyramids at night and rode through the desert by day. I meditated in the caves of Cappadocia and in Istanbul straddled two continents. I whiled away the hours on the beaches of the Mediterranean. They all whispered their secrets and offered tantalizing glimpses as to my direction. But it was the Camino to Santiago that finally revealed my path. It had been a long day's walk along the arid plains of the Meseta, and I was looking forward to a good shower and a good night's sleep. I sat on a bench, massaging my feet, listening to a group of pilgrims sitting nearby speaking about the day's experiences. I heard that this Camino is called the Way of the Sword, one of them enthused. It's where you battle your fears and your demons and you find your strength. I eavesdrop a little bit more. There is another pilgrimage to Rome called the Way of the Heart, of love where you discover the meaning of love in all of its facets, she continued. And then finally, there is a path to Jerusalem called the way of the soul, the soul's journey to God. My heart lurched. Jerusalem, Israel, land of the six-sided star. Although I was born in Canada, my parents were Lebanese, and so the Middle East conflict was ever near. As a child, while the women huddled in the kitchen, I sat quietly on the sidelines with the men, listening to them analyzing and debating the latest happenings in the region. I was fascinated 
with the complexity and antiquity of this conflict, the twists and the turns, the friend one day becoming foe the next. I heard every conspiracy theory imaginable, most of them, dehumanizing the Israelis and their Western allies and making them the root of all problems in the region. I grew up believing that armed struggle was a justifiable means of defeating tyranny and oppression, and that the only way to peace was through justice. With my spiritual awakening, however, fighting injustice no longer seemed the ideal way to achieve lasting peace. But how to create the latter without fighting against the former? Those thoughts haunted my every step until that unknown pilgrim revealed that the way of the soul led to Jerusalem. I knew then that I would walk that path to know my soul, to understand what peace means, and to carry it to that divided land. Two months later, the events of 9-11 would crystallize my plan, and I would walk to Jerusalem for peace. I searched the internet for ancient routes to Jerusalem, but all in vain. I did find one Dutch woman named Johanna van Fessem, who had walked from The Hague to Jerusalem a year earlier. I traveled there to meet her, my oracle, before beginning my pilgrimage. She understood my call and advised me to trust this path and be assured that the forces that were calling me to Jerusalem would also stand as my guides and protectors. I left Johanna feeling more powerful than ever, intending to start my walk in Rome right away. My fateful decision to visit Hannah in Germany would bring Alberto back into my life and change the course of my walk in ways I could not possibly imagine.